Okay, welcome to Preschool Pioneers. I am your host, Reverend Jeremy Walker, and this episode of Preschool Pioneers is entitled, He Who Hath Ears, Let Him Hear. We're going to be covering Matthew 13, 9, quote, He who hath ears, let him hear, unquote. And here on Preschool Pioneers, you can connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Preschool Pioneers Podcast. Now we're going to get started today on Preschool Pioneers. I want to get started with the concept about why Christians should become teachers. And we're going to be discussing a few other things as well. Our Preschool Pioneers Field Guide. And of course, the importance of what we have here are materials to help people if they are wanting to run a school or to operate one. And that's one thing we like to do is help people. Well, to go ahead and get started here, why Christians should become teachers and why that's relevant to Matthew 13, 9. Because one of the things that people fail to understand about Christian education is that it is an absolute guarantee for success. You cannot and will not fail. I know that might sound strange to some people, and why is it that Christians can have a guarantee of success with their efforts? Well, it's very simple. The Christian's job is not to make converts. It's very important. We do not save souls, per se, as some people would call it, some people would think about it. What we do instead is we preach, we teach, we spread the gospel, the good news, we educate, but we don't change people because no one can change anyone. Only God can change anyone. doesn't matter if it's an adult, doesn't matter if it's a child, doesn't matter who it is, no one can change the heart of another person. So what we do then is preaching, teaching, and evangelizing. That just means spreading the good news. Now, the most well-known example of this is in Matthew 13. And that, of course, is the parable of the sower, where Jesus compares the gospel, the word of God, to seeds. And it's being thrown out there. And you can read Matthew 13 for yourself about how the person goes to sow seeds. Some go by the wayside. Some fall into stony places. Some spring up, but because they have no depth, they die. And then, of course, other places where thorns spring up and choke them and kill them. And, of course, lastly, in Matthew 13, you had the good ground. And the good ground actually took the uh, seed, bore fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Now, that was all in Matthew 13, 1 through 8, that whole parable that Jesus did. And then at the end, he ends the parable. And growing up as a kid, I never heard anybody really say this, but it's very relevant to Christian education and what we do and what any educator needs to know about. Why is it that we are successful? Because in Matthew 13, 9, it said, Who hath ears to hear? Let him hear. Now, that is very important because it means not everybody has ears that hear. Other places in the Bible, it says eyes that see or a mind that understands. So in other words, you have to be given ears to hear the gospel. You have to be converted. You have to be changed. And that's not about making a decision. It's about who you are. 
the four different types of grounds were four different types of people. And the message itself uh, was good. The seed is always good. The gospel message is good. The word of God is always good. But it does not always have the same effect on different people. Four different types of people, four different types of responses. The first response were the people who completely rejected the gospel. Those are the people that are hostile to the gospel, refuse to listen to it whatsoever. Those people are very easy to identify. The second group of people are those that had no, um, no depth in them. These are the stony places. And of course, the seed dies, it withers away very quickly. So these are people who look like they are going to say, hey, we accept the gospel, we like the message of the gospel, but because, of course, there is no good ground, they're not the good ground, it just dies away. So these are people who might make a profession of faith, might attend church for a little while, but then they just fall away and, and move away. You'll also hear the people say, well, I used to be a Christian, but now I'm not. Well, you were never a Christian. That's the point. There is no such thing as a person who was a Christian and now is not. There were false converts who are now realizing that they were a false convert. But there is no such thing as a person who was a Christian and now is not. The next one was the people, of course, who accept the gospel. Those are the ones with the thorns. They spring up and choke them. These are people who don't really accept the gospel. They're not the good ground. They, for a time, seem to. But when they hear what the gospel entails, if they start to get flack about it, if you are trying to stand for the things the Bible says, and somebody is offended by what the Bible says, or because there's persecution involved, then these are the people who say, uh-uh, not going to do it. Other people who want to be greedy, want to be liars, want to be fornicators, and they find out they can't do those things and be Christian. These are the people that these cares, these other things spring up inside of them, and it destroys the gospel that was uh, originally given to them. In other words, they were never the good ground. Once again, false converts. Now, the good ground is the one who brought forth fruit. And as Christians, this is very good. This helps us to understand that we will always be successful because you don't change anyone. You can only find those that are Christians and potentially influence those for a short time, those that are not. And of course, even people who will never accept the gospel, if they grow up and they are influenced by Christianity and do not steal, they will have a much more prosperous life right now. If they do not fornicate and commit adultery, they will have a much better life right now. It has many benefits to them as well. When even non-professing Christians keep the commandments, they can and will be blessed here and now. So you're always going to be successful no matter what you do. Even if in the long term the people are not converted, you've still helped them. Because the Bible is very clear that even in hell, many are beaten with few stripes and others with many stripes. Same as in heaven, some people will be rewarded greatly and some very little. And so there are degrees on both sides of things. And there are influence that we have in society and what we do, the pain and the suffering, that through Christian, Christianity's example and through its teachings, 
we can reduce the evils and injustices in the world by our example. But here, when it talks about those who have ears to hear, let them hear. This is important because after this part, Jesus then discusses with them more about it. He says in verse 10, quote, And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? And he answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. For whosoever hath, to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away even that he hath. Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see, and not perceive. And it goes on from there, and you can read the rest in Matthew 13. But as Christians, we are guaranteed success. Because we don't convert people. We only take the good seed which we have, which is the Word of God, and we spread that, we teach it, we instruct it, and we give it to others. How that affects other people is not our problem. How it influences other people is not our responsibility. We are only responsible for one thing, and one thing only. Proper declaration and faithful declaration of the Word of God to those we have opportunity to do that for. In the case of Christian education, that means children. And those that are the good ground, those students that you will have the opportunity to influence in their lives, the good ground, you're going to be giving them that which will cause them to bear fruit and could be a hundredfold, sixtyfold, or thirtyfold. But they are going to prosper and grow in faith. And you had something to do with that. Meaning, you went out there, preached the word, and God used you to bring in his sheep. That is what we're supposed to do. For the others, you might influence them so they have a better life now, and they're not as evil. They haven't done as much horrible, terrible things. On a societal level, we're going to be reducing crime, evil, suffering, injustice across the board. And God will utilize you to do that. Now, there's many people who are non-Christians who at one point in time were raised by Christian families and otherwise, and they lament the fact that they weren't as evil as they wanted to be. And they lament the fact that they were restricted, or now, because they had a Christian upbringing, they find it difficult to sin without guilt. And so, Christianity's influence, even on the non-converted, has a suppressive type function, where we suppress the evil throughout the world. And so that's also why we know we are successful, because they know it's true. Even those people who hate God can't get away from the fact that it is true and they know it. So Christians should become teachers because we have a guarantee of success. We have a calling to go out to preach and to teach. We know that we are going to be successful. And no matter what we do, no matter how poorly we think we're doing, or how inadequate we think we are at our jobs, if you properly preach and teach the gospel, you influence children, you will always be successful. You can't help it. You will always be helping every single person 
that you come in contact with, you will literally be a bearer of light and life into the lives of all these people. Even in the families, working in the system as long as I have with education, families will bring their children to you and say, thank you for what you do. Just thank you for what you do. The kids come home quoting the commandments. The kids come home and they ask us questions about the Bible. We don't know the answers. And so the parents are also influenced by what you do, by how their children are going to act. They will turn around and thank you because you're teaching their children to honor father and mother, to listen to their parents. You are literally helping these parents who might be deficient in their personal lives or in their child rearing of their children, but you are now helping them and giving their children what they need, which is the Word of God. You're helping their child and bringing them to life as they obey God. Well, we always are going to have this guarantee of success. That's why we should be very encouraged to do our jobs. We should never be discouraged by all the evil that's out there in the world. Because if we do our jobs faithfully, we will succeed because it is God that opens the hearts of men. Not everybody has ears to hear. Not everybody has eyes to see. And God is going to blind people because they are not going to listen, they're not going to hear, and they're not going to be converted. Jesus was very clear in that. It is not all people who can come to Christ. Now, the message goes out to all, but not all are going to be the good ground. And that means we don't have to worry about it. You can't fail to convert someone. It's not about how good you are. As long as you faithfully preach, you have a guarantee of success. And those people that need to hear it are going to hear it. The only question is, are you going to be an instrument or not that helps that to be brought to fruition? Are you going to be out there sowing the seeds that takes root in somebody's life? Are you going to be the bearer of life and the tool that God uses to help others? And, of course, to help society or not? But Christians should become teachers. We are the ones that have this guarantee of success. We are the ones that cannot fail. And we are the ones that God has sent out into the world to make these converts, to bring them in, to find the sheep. Now moving on, our preschool pioneers field guide. Field guide is what we called it. Because in the field, practical application of what you do is very important. It's not just the theoretical stuff. And sadly, many people stop with the concept of uh, just, just the concept of what it means to be a Christian teacher, the importance of it, why we should do it, and all the stuff in between. So but moving on beyond that is how to deal with actual problems. And running our schools here, Grace Community School, we have nine locations in Southwest Florida, and we've been doing this for over 30 plus years. And so we've run into a lot of different problems and situations, how to uh, operate facilities properly, how to handle problems, how to fix problems. And one of those is identifying and handling disruptive behavior. And that's what I want to discuss a little bit today. If you're a Christian teacher and if you're running a school and you have a question about how to handle disruptive behavior, it's very simple. One thing you have to have is a set of rules. You have to have guidelines set down. We do have those in our operations manual, how to handle this type of stuff. We have it on our website at gcsapprenticeship.com. You can find their operations manual. But how to identify disruptive behavior is not complicated. You have to have uh, guidelines for how students are supposed to act, 
how uh, what they're supposed to do or not do. And then, of course, you have a system of regulations about the steps you follow in order to get compliance, um, warnings, or potential expulsions from school. Now, identifying just real quickly is not overly complicated because it's a breach of your rules. Um, like, very simply put, uh, students need to be able to listen to verbal commands or instructions from a teacher. They need to be able to get along with their uh, fellow students so they're not hurting or harming other people. There's no violent behavior. Uh, thefts, destruction of property. So disruptive behavior is any behavior that breaks uh, the school's rules. According to us, we basically have the Ten Commandments as our guidelines. This is what we expect children to do. Supposed to uh, respect their teachers, supposed to treat their fellow students with respect, so forth and so on. So if that doesn't happen, you have to have your steps of what to do. The basic guidelines we would suggest are things like this. You have a warning, so you want to have redirection for a child or a student that's having problems. It doesn't matter the age. It can be from infancy, you know, one years old, all the way up through 12th grade. It really doesn't matter. But this tactic works for everyone. Redirection. You sit down, you talk with them, especially depending on the age group, if they can handle it. Talk with them about it, what their problems are. Redirect them. Hey, let's not do that. Whatever the behavior might be. And so you're redirecting it, trying to get back on track with what they need to do. Now, after that, there is a consequence of sorts, whatever that consequence is. Um, it can be, let's say, a good example is a child is on the playground pushing their fellow uh, students and after the discussion and they won't do it or maybe they're trying to jump off the slide which is dangerous and can cause bodily harm to themselves and they are not heeding the warning. Well, the next step would be what we call a timeout where you come and sit out with the teacher, stand there and you're not able to participate in whatever the event is, in this case, the playground. They just don't have to be long. And that's one very important thing that people miss is they think for some reason you have to have harsh or uh, very long forms of uh, punishments or timeouts or um, negative consequences. But you really don't. It's about consistency, not about severity. And so as long as you're consistent in what you're asking, consistent in not allowing behavior, uh, rewarding positive behavior, having consequence for negative behavior, whatever the consequence is, as long as it's consistent, even if it's standing next to the teacher, it will work. Consistent, consistent, consistency. Now, if that doesn't work, of course, maybe they don't want to come stand next to you, maybe they're fighting with you, start to get upset, angry, upset, whatever it might be, there comes another warning. You know, you really have to do this. If you want to play, you're going to have to come sit next to me. Come on, let's just do it. Basic warnings, basic conversation, reasoning with them. And it doesn't matter how young they are, children can be very much reasoned with, even very young ones, especially the older ones. That doesn't work, then of course, the next step, removal from the environment. If the environment is the classroom or the playground, they should then be brought to, let's say, the office. This is where the management is at. And here they can have a time to be set apart. Uh, people have lots of names for it, timeout, rest period, whatever you want to call it. But basically it's the next step which removes them from the actual classroom itself and puts them in the office with management, away from the teachers, away from the other students, and by themselves there in the office, being supervised there instead. At that point, you can have the managers discuss the subject with them, and then, should that work, uh, here you don't need, once again, you don't have to have long periods of this type of isolation, but short periods, discussion, talk about it. And then, we're back to the classroom again, do your uh, whatever it was you're supposed to do, if it was time out sitting next to the teacher, whatever it was, and then go back to play. 
those things are very important to have this structure of authority where everybody works together. Now, of course, if you have a child who's still not receptive, even though now they're been removed from their environment, now they're in the office, at this point, uh, if they won't sit down, they're throwing chairs, they're screaming, they're crying, whatever it might be, the next step is to contact parents. Contacting parents allows the parent to know, number one, what's going on, number two, to assist with potentially calming the child down, uh, resetting them, we call it sometimes, you reset them, they kind of go back in there and start all over in a, in a sense of a fresh start. Now, after the parent talks to them, hopefully it'll work. If it doesn't work right away, then you have to call for pickup. Because you can't have a child who's going to be throwing things or is going to be overly disruptive uh, in the facility. It just can't happen. You have to have rules, got to have structure. Whatever those rules are is what has to be followed. If a student, no matter the age, refuses to do that and parental redirection doesn't work, you're going to have to send them home. Um, then, of course, you can send them back to class if it does work. You know, Go back in there. Let's go be good. But everything's tended towards the positive. It's not about the negative. It's about we all really just want to work together. We want the child to have a good experience. We want the child to have a good time. We want them to learn, participation. But the only thing that's making them not participate, not learning, not have instructed or instruction, not to have a good time, is their disruptive behavior, whatever it might be. Now, let's say you do all those steps. Kid goes back to class. Great. Everything's back to normal. You ignore it like it never happened. But let's say, for whatever reason, this happens again and again and again repeatedly. Now, at this point, you need to talk to the parent, and if you do send them home, you need to then say, well, we'll play by ear tomorrow, see how it goes. But if you have the same type of behavior, jumping off slides, harming other people, biting, then the next step is you have to talk to the parents and say, well, if we don't see improvement, you have to understand we have a process. And the process is typically a three-step process. like. First time is being sent home because we could not get the child to cooperate, whatever it was, or stop doing whatever they were doing that was disruptive and or harmful to others or themselves. The next step, of course, would be sent home after going through all those other steps we mentioned before, uh, as if it was a brand new day. But this time, if you have to send them home again, this time was with a suspension, like a one-day suspension. You're letting them know behavior's not getting better. We're going to have to suspend for one day. And then, of course, if it happens again, it's going to be expulsion. And of course, that's not the goal. But you want to keep parents informed. You want to let them know what's going on, know, let them know what to expect. And then, of course, if the same behavior happens the next day, you would just have to move to expulsion. But that's not the goal. And of course, if you did say, started these three-step processes, and you got to step one where you sent them home, the next day, step two, you suspended them. But then you went through a month or two, never had any problems, you reset the clock. Uh, you're not just going to go one, two, three, you're out. Everything has to be positive. Everything has to be geared towards helping the child and providing a safe environment in the classroom. And you are going to have time to, from time to time parents who are not happy about this, but it's something that you have to provide a safe environment for everyone, including the child, especially if they're a danger to themselves, like jumping off a slide or, or otherwise. So there's just some basic guidelines that preschool pioneers, uh, field guide would suggest. So in other words, how to handle and identify disruptive behavior. You gotta have, once again, very clear steps. Everybody follows them, from teachers to management to parents being instructed about what to do. And also, kids need to know what the rules are. Children love structure. Children flourish with structure. And they don't aren't caught by surprise. They know what's gonna happen if they do whatever behavior it is, the positive or the negative. Kids flourish 
with structure and environmental structure where it's under control and it's consistent. They do not flourish under chaos. They do not flourish with inconsistency. They do not flourish with people who are not going to follow the rules or they change them on a constant basis. The biggest problem you have with people and one of the major uh, reasons why they fail, inconsistency, especially in the Christian school or in a classroom. So that's going to be what our suggestions are for today on how to identify and handle disruptive behavior. And the last part is we want to touch on, on this episode of Preschool Pioneers, about our materials on our website, gcsapprenticeship.com. You're going to find materials there. We have quite a few materials. We have our preschool in a box, which is exactly as it sounds. It's everything we do at our facilities, and we've been selling those across the country for many months now, about a couple of years now, actually. And many, 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 many preschools now utilize our curriculums all across the country to help them run their own facilities. Our materials are absolutely fantastic. We run nine locations ourselves. Um, all of our Grace Community Schools run off of our curriculum. And like I said, preschools across the nation now are also utilizing our curriculum as well. So you can go on the, the website, gcsapprenticeship.com, for more information on, on that. But the one I want to talk about mainly is the operations manual, because that tells you how to operate a school. It gives you the structure that um, we're talking about and why reinvent the wheel. Um, take a look at our materials. If they can help you, which I know they will, uh, then you can utilize them in your own facility to operate successfully. If you would like to tweak those, get something that you know works, because we have nine flourishing, productive locations here with over 2,000 students per day across all of our locations uh, that are operating. Uh, parent uh, approval, parent success uh, is through the roof, just through the roof. You can go to our website, which is um, gracecommunityschools.com to go to see our um, parental reviews of what they think about us. And uh, we have amazing reviews on there from, I think, over a 1,000 reviews on there at least. And it continues to grow every day since we started doing that not long ago. But parent after parent after parent raves about how we operate our schools. And though no school is going to be perfect, and of course you're never going to have any perfect staff member or perfect manager or anything that's absolutely 100% perfect, you can have a recipe for success. And that's the main goal. So I'm going to close out here with this right here, with promoting our operations manual can find that on our website at gcsprenticeship.com. Christians should become teachers because they have a guarantee from God himself of success if they do their jobs right and they preach the word and influence others. So thank you again for joining us and God bless.